This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 8th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. With seven years to think about how to do it, the House leadership's plan to replace Obamacare is, well, not good especially if what you want is a free market in health care provision. Jim Banks is a freshman Republican congressman from Indiana. We spoke yesterday about replacing the Affordable Care Act, earmarks, and immigration. Having seen now at least portions of the Obamacare repeal bill, and I hate, I'm not sure that's even the right word for it, uh, because it doesn't seem to replace uh, many elements of the law, as uh, uh, my colleague Michael Cannon here has pointed out, this bill uh, retains so much more of the architecture of Obamacare uh, than the bill that the House and Senate sent to President Obama's desk just last year. So, can you give us a sense of what you've what you've witnessed or what you think uh, so far about the plan? The replacement still allows for a number of the regulations, the regulatory uh, environment and framework that was created by Obamacare. It still allows for the expansion of Medicaid um, and and doesn't allow for the undoing of that for a number of years. Uh, the, the sheer cost, we have yet to see the full uh, CBO estimates of the, the cost of this replacement plan, but we expect it to be substantial. Uh, for all of those reasons, I, I remain skeptical and, and have great, great reservations about the replacement plan. As a former state senator, I served for six years in the Indiana State Senate. It was my hope that we would we would uh, vote to repeal uh, Obamacare fully and replace it with a with a free market, patient-driven health care system that empowered the, the states, um, whether uh, through a full uh, flexibility of Medicaid programs and the administration of those programs for the states. I, I have yet to be convinced that this replacement provides for what I promised the voters in my district that I would advocate for in a free market uh, system that it doesn't appear that this provides. How does it compare, as far as you can tell, from uh, with the Rand Paul proposal? Well, there seem to be significant differences. I, 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 I need to learn more about the Rand Paul proposal, um, as is often the case. Uh, his uh, proposal does does provide for that framework that, that I, as a candidate myself, and most Republicans also promised that they would fight for in a, in a, in a free market-driven uh, health care replacement of Obamacare, which it doesn't appear that this replacement proposal uh, from what I've the, the little bit that I've been able to read so far and learn about it that it, that it does as well. So when I get back to Capitol Hill, Hill again, I just got to back to Washington D.C. off of a plane an hour ago. Uh, when I get back to Capitol Hill and learn more, I, I'm sure that the Rand Paul proposal provides much further in the direction of what I was looking for than the Republican replacement plan does so far. Republicans have had seven years to work on this. It's a fair criticism, and uh, one of those lessons that I've learned in my first couple of months on the job, and, and that expecting something to be very different, expecting that Republicans would be ready for uh, for this for this opportunity, this this moment uh, to re to to repeal Obamacare and replace it with a, a free market driven system. In fact, having th them having voted before I got here in years past on on a, a, a full repeal measures even just last year. It's a, it's a, fair, um, it's a fair criticism. I've, I've said many times before back home in Indiana that, that um, Republicans have done a very poor job of articulating what this replacement will look like. Now that we've seen it, it, it leaves many of us who are conservatives in the House of Representatives uh, scratching our head and, and wondering why 
uh, the replacement doesn't provide for those for those conservative principles that we were looking for. What is the role of health savings accounts in any Obamacare repeal and replace plan? It uh, the it, it appears that uh, this uh, plan, the the Republican uh, leadership plan, does provide for the expansion of health savings accounts, allowing for a, a doubling of the amount that could be placed in an HSA. And um, that, that concept is interesting combined with the, the tax credit uh, proposal aspect of the proposal as well. Um, that, again, that, th- those aren't the conservative principles that I articulated as a candidate in hoping for more of a free market-driven uh, replacement uh, proposal, which isn't isn't completely found in the replacement that was that was dropped last night and, and made known to the American people last night and this morning. What has the Medicaid expansion, and I guess more broadly, what does Medicaid in general, and the way those payments from the federal government are structured, what does that do to state level priorities for spending? It, it takes a significant hit uh, toward the states when we talk about the when we talk about Medicaid expansion and what we've seen occur in years past where so many Republican states who did not take the advice of of, um, of the Cato Institute and other groups who stressed the importance of voting against uh, expanding Medicaid. Now, now, now we'll see the full picture emerge over the uh, throughout this debate on what, what uh, states will be left with in the end. But as a conservative, uh, it was my hope that we would um, that we would not allow for m- the more expansion of, of healthcare, government-run healthcare through Medicaid uh, to occur in states around the country. On the other hand, uh, it, it was also my hope that, that whatever we passed out of the House of Representatives, now the Congress, and sent to the president would allow for more flexibility of whether it's uh, block grants to the states for Medicaid. And, and that's, that's one of the concerns I have with the proposal as we, as we learn more about it uh, from last night and today. Um, it, it appears that this doesn't go far enough um, in, in limiting the expansion of Medicaid. Um, I have, I've, in talking to Governor, Gov, former Governor Pence and now Vice President Pence, and the, the current governor of the state of Indiana, Indiana could receive far less money uh, from the federal government to administer Medicaid, but with flexibility could make them could stretch that money to make it go so much further if we gave them the flexibility that that the state could. Um, uh, uh, that, that the states could uh, achieve uh, to maximize the dollars that they receive is my hope that we can give them substantially more flexibility to do to do just that to stretch their dollars even further. Well, what about just the structure of Medicaid? It's a matching program. It's not. It it would seem to pervert the basic incentives of states in order to maximize that match. Whereas if they're genuinely concerned about the health. Uh, and and balancing spending priorities in the state, it would seem that the Medicaid actually uh, screws up those priorities. There, there's no question. As conservatives, we we believe we believe that that the the government involvement of administering programs like Medicaid uh, and and the expansion of programs like that that have been occurred through about through the Obamacare um, as we've known it over the past several years of through the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. And what might continue to be maintained in the proposal the Republicans have released over the past couple of days? Those are those are concerns that I have, and concerns that that I hope more states like my state in Indiana rise up and 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 tell a story about uh, tell the story of how of the impact that this could have. So you're a free trader. Uh, that's what it said on your uh, your website. Uh, how do you evaluate the president's talk on the issue of trade? 
It's one of the, the major areas of disagreement that I've had with, with this president and with uh, candidate um, uh, Donald Trump uh, and his administration since I, I represent the, the district in the country with the most manufacturing jobs of any other district. Uh, manufacturing is, is a key component, whether it's the medical device industry in Northeast Indiana, the, the, the historic uh, automotive uh, industry that we've had in Northeast Indiana and throughout the, the Rust Belt, throughout the Midwest. Uh, in my district, in the third district, again, we have, the, we have more manufacturing jobs than any other district in the country. And we, we rely on the ability to trade with other countries around the world uh, to continue to build that, that uh, manufacturing base of, of jobs and, and businesses in Northeast Indiana. As a free trader, uh, it is my it, it, as someone who believes deeply in the in the in the principles of free trade. Uh, we won't be able to grow our economy if we don't allow for more opportunities to trade with with other with other countries through uh, through trade agreements. This this president has a different philosophy, and um, that that's an area that we of, of disagreement that we've had over the past several months. Uh, as Dan Eikenson here at the Cato Institute likes to point out, about half of the stuff. Uh, that we import in the United States per dollar value is stuff that Americans use to make other stuff that sometimes gets exported. And Do Donald Trump and a lot of his trade team don't really seem to either appreciate that or draw that distinction. That, that, that's one, again, one area of disagreement that I've had with this president, his administration, whether it's TPP or NAFTA, uh, these were opportunities to expand free trade around the globe, um, all, e even with aspects of both of those agreements which are imperfect, the rhetoric and sentiment of this administration against opportunities for more trade around the world is a, is a, is a troubling uh, area of disagreement that I have with this administration that I hope in the months and years to come that, that this president will become aware of the opportunities that we have for more opportunities for trade that I certainly will strive to advocate for as a new member of Congress. But he's also... Uh uh, made famous use of Twitter and has, it appears, threatened companies that are considering expansions outside of the United States. I'm thinking of Toyota, uh, Ford, uh, and Carrier. Right, and, and th those are those are troubling uh, and unfortunate incidents. But what does that do to the environment for free trade? If if you're a company that trying to make the best decision for your shareholders, for your workers, for your uh, for the, uh, to serve the markets that you serve. What does that do to that? It, it doesn't help. It, it doesn't help the, uh, the ability of companies to grow and, and, uh, and in, increase uh, their capacity and grow and, and trade uh, with other, other, other uh, countries around the, around the globe. So those are troubling incidents that I hope that this president can turn away from. I, I haven't seen one of those those tweets uh, from the president in a while, and I hope that we don't see tweets like that that target specific businesses in the future. It is a concern that many businesses have that if they differ with the administration, that they they might get caught up in the Twitter feed as well, and that that's um, that that's not the type of leadership that will lead us in the right direction to grow our economy. On spending, uh, in I saw a, a tweet. It was from Senator Ron Wyden recently, and uh, he said. Uh, about half of our budget goes to defense right now. And he posted a, a chart that just contained discretionary federal spending. And, um, you know, when you leave out entitlements, dealing with spending is just not uh, 
it's not substantial. Uh, it doesn't not dealing with entitlements essentially leaves the United States in a situation where uh, our long term fiscal imbalances simply are not being dealt with. What is your view on that? Well, we we know that of of our tax dollars, for every dollar that we pay in taxes, two thirds of that dollar goes toward non discretionary so called entitlement spending. We we won't be able to restore um, the fiscal health of this country and, and begin to address a $20 trillion national debt if we don't address entitlement spending, which this this administration has appeared so far unwilling to address uh, those issues. I, I hope they have a change of heart and recognize, as many conservatives do, that we have to we have to march in that direction to, to restore um, fiscal sanity in, in Washington, D.C. And one of your uh, issues is earmarks uh, in, in spending. How much of that uh, that's all essentially on the discretionary side of the budget, isn't it? It is, but we have to look at we have to look at earmarks as a, a broader subject. I, I always appreciate former Senator Coburn, uh, who calls earmarks the gate. He calls them the gateway drug, uh, the the avenue through which politicians advocate for earmarks that lead to uh, much. You know, while it might be a a couple of million here, a, a ten million there. It, it always leads to much more. The gateway drug to more spending, and um, that's why I joined uh, a half a dozen or so other members um, just a few weeks ago. As this issue begins to emerge again on Capitol Hill, to bring back as some of the more senior members are advocating for the for the return of earmarks in the Congress and the House of Representatives uh, to to take a stand with other conservatives that. Uh, that I, for one, won't uh, support efforts to bring back earmarks in this Congress. It is alarming, as a as a Republican who ran for this office last year, um, who who believed that the voters spoke loud and clear on November eighth, on Election Day, uh, for cons- in, in support of conservative leadership in this country. One of the one of the lessons that I I didn't learn from the voice of the American people when they spoke loud and clear on November eighth was that they wanted us to bring back earmarks of all things. Uh, to the Congress, so I'll, I will fight against those efforts. And as those, as, as that topic continues to emerge again and again, as a new voice on Capitol Hill, we'll we'll fight against the return of earmarks to to the to the spending process. President Trump has now uh, tried again with his uh, ban on travel from seven majority Muslim countries. Now it's just six. Uh, what do you make of the? I guess the the legal defenses that that have been offered in favor of that ban, and uh, I guess just the general thought process behind it. Well, the 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 most unfortunate aspect of of um, these executive orders and the the travel ban were the the statements that this president made as a candidate and advocating for a Muslim ban, which I would never support, uh, or, or any any efforts to institute a religious test or or a ban based on. The um, the religion of those who seek to come to the United States of America, the greatest country in the world. I served in Afghanistan as a Navy reservist just uh, two years ago from today, and and um, served with um, uh, Afghan troops uh, abroad. Worked closely with them on a daily basis, and um, a number a number worked with a served with a number of interpreters who were Muslim uh, Afghan interpreters who served our country in defense of protecting me and others who I served with in, in, in uniform, um, who served because of their dream, their sincere hope that they could uh, qualify for an, a visa, an opportunity to come to the United States of America and, and pursue 
uh, what my family has pursued and, and, and ultimately the pursuing the American dream to a, a better opportunity that they could find here than they could find uh, in their own country. And I, I think of them often as a part of these debates, uh, the, the unfortunate rhetoric during the campaign of a, of a Muslim ban or a, a so-called religious test to immigrate to this country. Now, these executive orders don't apply a religious test. Um, however, they do ban temporarily um, uh, refugees or visas uh, from uh, those who, who seek to come here from, uh, as you mentioned, six different countries. I do believe that it is, uh, it is well within the realm of addressing the national security threats that we face to examine the visa application process to look at ways that we can more thoroughly uh, vet and examine those who who seek to come to the United States of America through the legal processes. Last year, there were 1 million applications cast for visas by those who sought to come to, 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 come to the USA. 2,200 of those visas were turned down based on any, um, uh, any concern of a national security threat by those who sought to come to, to, come to this country through a legal process, uh, perhaps um, uh, ISIS or other uh, enemies abroad seeking to exploit loopholes or weaknesses in the vetting process to send their members to, to this country. So this this administration um, should have room to examine uh, the the process to look for ways to close any loopholes or to strengthen the process to protect Americans. But we should never apply any type of religious test against those who seek to come to this country um, to find to seek better opportunities for them and, and their families. Uh, the 9/11 hijackers uh, overstayed visas uh, in in the United States. They were here. Uh, largely from Saudi Arabia, a country that is not on that list. So I, I just I don't understand what the what the point of it is. It's a fair observation. I, I I am not aware of the intelligence that led this administration to pick the six countries that they picked. Um, I know that Iraq was on well, that you, list. You used a list previously. that was laid out from the Obama administration. And um, the, uh, Iraq was uh, subtracted from the most recent. Executive order um, after the after the administration met with uh, officials from Iraq and and talked through some of the the national security components of of those issues. I, I do I do give this administration credit for looking into ways that um, strengthening this process could protect America further. Um, uh, the rhetoric from the campaign though will will continue to overshadow these issues uh, by mention of of any any sort of religious test. That would be incurred uh, as a part of that process, right? But these specific six countries, there have been zero attacks on American soil from these particular six countries in forty years. I, I can't, I, I can't uh, begin to speculate why the why this administration chose the six countries that they chose. Um, I, 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 I'm not aware of the intelligence that led them to pick the countries that they did. I think I, my, it's my contention, though, that overall we should look into the processes. Uh, through which the the vetting occurs when when a when a visa applicant uh, goes through that process and look at ways that we can strengthen and close any loopholes that would lead to those twenty two look at look at why the Department of Homeland Security rejected those twenty two hundred applicants last year who were rejected based on a national security concern and look at ways that we can strengthen the process moving forward. What does the federal government do that it's uh, big ticket items? that it simply should not be doing? I would start with education. As a state senator um, who was well-versed in the Indiana state constitution, who understood that a number of sections within our state constitution were, were 
uh, dedicated toward education policy and guaranteeing a good education every Hoosier child. I also recognize that our our federal constitution nowhere grants authority to the federal government to be involved in education. So I often I would I would start there. I served on the education committee for six years in the Indiana State Senate, and most of our issue most of the issues that we dealt with that troubled me and so many of my constituents were brought about by the the federal involvement in our education policy from No Child Left Behind to the Race to the Top, uh, Common Core. Uh, most of the issues that were impacting uh, the ability to deliver a good education to Hoosier kids was uh, impacted greatly by the federal involvement in education. Uh, on almost so many other notes, though, whether health care, which we talked about a little bit ago, um, or, or in so many other areas, there is no question in my mind, having served at the state level, that the state of Indiana can't administer a program better than the federal government. You'd be hard-pressed uh, hard to find uh, any examples outside of our our, mil our military, perhaps, where the state couldn't deliver um, a, a better uh, a better program uh, to our constituents than the federal government. Jim Banks is a freshman Republican congressman from Indiana. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>